Well, I, we've got uh, just a bit of time together. I think I'm going to pick up these such good truths. The thing about our Christian life and faith is that we need to have foundations. We need to have foundations that are laid. And the foundations that we build on are very, very important. Because if the foundations are wrong, the building will look wrong and it will be wrong. Uh, and so foundations um, are vital, and certainly in this part of the world, with blue slip and uh, all the other things, the foundations to a building are right. So we have been looking at a number of foundational truths recently in terms of the nature and character of God, because I, we recognize at times that the way people think about God and who He is and, and how He works in our world and in our lives, they, they, that, they can have a misunderstanding. So we've been looking at the nature and character of God, but not just as pieces of information to remember, but also the experience. How does that impact the experience in our lives? And so uh, he, is, um, he is transcendent, he is sovereign, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, he's omnipresent. Uh, but the experience that comes alongside these is an experience of wonder, of assurance, of, of being able to embrace weakness, being able to be real with our weaknesses and bringing them to the one who is all-powerful, and also to be courageous, uh, to step out in the knowledge of who God is. And today we're just going to briefly uh, look at two great truths, uh, which when we first hear them, can frighten us, maybe, or concern us, or give us concerns. But there is an experience of honesty that can come when we understand what has happened. Because the truth that we want to look at is that God is all holy, He's perfect, and God is all-knowing. Theological word for that is omniscient. He's all-knowing. But that, those truths of all-perfect and all-holy God shouldn't terrify us. It shouldn't condemn us. actually should release us as people if we get hold of the truth of what what has happened. So I want to turn uh, quickly, um, hopefully it will come up on the screen, Psalm 139, very famous verses. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And then over into Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, again some very famous verses, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give accounts. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we have an all-holy and all-knowing God. God is perfect in every way, like no other. Psalm 145, the Lord is righteous in all his ways, kind in all of his works. Interestingly, there's no other attribute that's used to describe God throughout the Bible more than his holiness. In the New Testament, the Greek word for holy is used 235 times. It means to be set apart. It's unlike anything else. The challenge is that this holy God calls his people to join with him in the attribute by pursuing holy lives. Lives that are set apart. So Leviticus 11, verse 45 I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Jesus, in Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow. Okay. Um, Both uh, God and Jesus, his Son, in the Old and New Testament, we're told to be perfect. Um, Hang on a minute. Does anybody think back to this past week? Um, I'm going to put my hands up. I haven't been perfect this week. So what's going on there? You see, we know that the Bible is very clear. We're not saved by being perfect. We're not saved by living holy lives. But the Bible is also clear that we are called to holy lives. We're called to live holy lives because living that way will reflect the God who has saved us, the God who is holy. But as I've just said, if anyone's real and honest, you can see that as a real challenge. Especially when we understand that the holiness of God is also linked to his omniscience. He knows everything. His knowledge And understanding is perfect. So he's perfect, and he's perfect in his knowledge and understanding. He doesn't have a school report that says slow progress, or requires improvement, or, like one of many of mine, Mark would accomplish a lot more if he paid attention to his own work and not to what everyone else is doing. (laughs) That's not our God's. It's not our God. He's the God who knows. He does not learn. He already knows what was and what is and what will be. In the words of Job 37, he is perfect in knowledge. No wonder that the Apostle Paul cries out in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches and of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's unsurpassed. 
And so that means he knows everything about us. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. If you're starting to squirm, there's some good news coming in just a moment, all right? So hang in there. It's okay to squirm for a minute because we need hope. We need an answer. Because when we start to hear these verses, you're going, hold on a minute. What I said last week, what I did last week, how I felt this morning, how I reflected this morning. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. The Lord searches every heart understands every desire and every thought. We read it just now, 139 Psalm. You search me, you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts, you discern my going out, my lying out. You're familiar with all my ways. Oh, my goodness. They're wonderful truths, but they bring a real challenge to us. He's holy, perfectly holy. He calls us to live holy lives, but, We fall short. We know we fall short. Nothing in all creation, we just read Hebrews 4, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. I don't know about you, but I could get very quickly to a point where you go, oh my goodness, what must I do? How how, how can I go forward? What does the Lord think of me? How, you know, his eye is upon me, he's seeing, and my thoughts and my reflections, everything. Brothers and sisters, it's why we must never take a verse out of context. It's why we must never just take one verse and repeat it over and over and condemn ourselves or others. We must Read the verses before and the verses after, the chapters before and the chapters after. Hebrews 4.13, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Is that where we stop? No. Verse 14, therefore, such a key word. If you're looking for key words in the Bible, look for those kind of words. Therefore, another one is but, (laughs) but God. All right, but God, okay? Therefore, here's another one. Since, there's something has happened. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest. Who is this high priest? So the priest every, every day, the priests are having to come in the Old Testament to bring sacrifices for the sins of the people. The blood of animals are being shed. Once a year, the high priest comes. And once a year, after a great many uh, shedding of blood and and washing, he's able to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Jesus is now called our high priest. He's, He's taken on that mantle. Because not only... Is he able to go into the presence of God because he is God? He, he has shed his own blood for us. Since we have a high priest, and this is verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach. Therefore, approach. 
This is the situation, but we can approach. We can approach God's God throne of grace with confidence. Say the word confidence. confidence. Now say it with confidence. confidence. <laughs> we can approach that throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our t- time of needs. These verses are so, so key to us in how we respond. Because you can take this, God is all holy. God is omniscient. He knows everything. And we can get into condemnation and fear. We can be terrified unless we understand the truth that goes with it. Jesus, our great high priest, has given us some gifts. We have received some gifts. It's part of the good news. It's part of the gospel. And it transforms our understanding of this all-seeing eye. The very face of God is transformed. I remember as I was growing up as a young boy in what was called the exclusive brethren. But I, I just remember being terrified of God. There was an incredible fear. I remember always thinking uh, of God as like a God of wrath. That wasn't because of my mum and dad. It was because of the the church context we were in and the kind of things that we were taught. But I remember almost cowering at times under the sense of the wrath of God and, and his anger towards me because I kept failing and didn't keep all the laws and and all of those things. Now, by God's grace, I hope that many of you have not experienced that, but I certainly lived under fear, the fear of God. Jesus somehow was different. It's a different story for another time. But Jesus had died for me, but God, this this God of wrath, was, was over me. And I remember very clearly when I began to hear the message of the grace of God as a, as a teenager, of, of God's love, that Jesus had taken the punishment, that Jesus had paid the price. And I remember the day, as it were, metaphorically, I looked up and on the face of God, I saw this huge smile. Smile on the face of God. That no longer was this, this angry bearded man with a white nighty um, going to smash me with a, a, a bolt of lightning somehow. Very vivid imagination. But there we are. Gifts. Jesus, fully human, fully God, coming, living here on earth, experiencing all our struggles, all our trials, all our temptations. God knows. Yes, he does know. He knows you. He knows your situation. He knows your challenges. But what is so important is that he, it's not just a knowing that is a pointing of judgment. It's a knowing of understanding he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows. It's why he sent his son to die for us. Yes, he does know, but he sympathizes so what was so important, first of all, is that uh, Jesus was without sin. He perfectly obeyed the, the Father. So on the cross, as we were talking a little bit last week, there was a great exchange that took place. So the first gift that we receive is Christ's perfect obedience. 
You know uh, you'll mess up this afternoon. You'll mess up again tomorrow. But you have been given a gift. It's the gift of Christ, a perfect obedience for you. He perfectly obeyed the Father. And so on the cross, my disobedience is exchanged for his obedience. He took our sin and its punishment on himself and he clothed us in his righteousness. Completely new clothes. So if you think about all the failures and weaknesses and imperfections of this past week, what does he see? He looks through the lens of Christ's perfect work done for us on the cross. He is all-seeing. He is all-knowing. He is perfect. We're not perfect, but we have been clothed in Christ's perfection. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Secondly, not only did the Holy One live a perfect life for us, as we've said, he also died for us. The following chapters in Hebrews, if you read on Hebrews, it's a challenging book. It's an amazing book. There's this description of the once-for-allness of the gift of the precious blood of the Lord Jesus. Romans 5, verse 6. You see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, there it is again, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Justification is a courtroom word. It means the charges have been dropped. Innocence has been declared case closed. Romans 8 verse 1, very famous, here's another therefore. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. So there's an obedience, a perfect obedience that is ours. And there's a justification, a declaration that we are perfect legally before the Father. Because Jesus has shed his blood. The price that was required for sin has been paid. He's all holy. He's all knowing. He knows how I am. He knows what I am. And he, he places these gifts upon me. So that the Father sees me perfectly obedient through Christ. Justified through Christ. Isn't it amazing truth? And then thirdly, did you let, let me read uh, again from Romans 8, a bit further on. There's another piece of amazing news. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. But look, 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 they're not perfect. They're not holy. Look at how they speak. Look at how they think. Now it's God who justifies. Who then is it the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Here's the third gift. To intercede means to stand in the gap on behalf of another. It means to speak on behalf, to stand in the gap. Jesus 
the Holy One who knows everything about me, lived out the obedience that I couldn't, died condemned where I should have, and is now totally committed to raising his voice on my behalf before the Father. Every time you sin, Jesus is standing in heaven like your defending lawyer pointing at his wounds. We've been picking up on this book, Truth on Fire. It's what Adam, Adam Ramsey refers to as the experience of honesty. So he, he says, these are great, great truths, but what does this mean for me tomorrow? What does this mean for me this afternoon? It's the experience of honesty. You see, we can try and hide. We can pretend even that, that God's not there. We can run, frightened, afraid. Brothers and sisters, the all-holy God who knows all, sees all. We can't run from him. But he's also the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of love, the God who deals tenderly with sinners who come to him with honesty about their need. Come to him honestly. 1 John 1 verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him, from Jesus, and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with the one another and the blood of Jesus' son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. Here it is. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The power of sin is broken through honest confession and repentance. Hebrews 4, verse 16, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't need to be condemned. We don't need to be terrified of this all-perfect, omniscient, all-knowing God. Adam Ramsey says this, the gospel frees me to be honest about the ways that I fall short instead of being crushed by them. don't know about you, but there have been times in my own life where it's like, oh Lord, I've messed up again and again and again. I've failed. And you can feel, you can really begin to feel quite condemned. But the gospel frees me to be honest about the ways I fall short instead of being crushed by them because the gospel reminds me that Jesus was crushed for me. The gospel means that I don't have to hide. 
because the good news of what the holy and all-knowing Saviour did for me is true for me too. He's clothed you with righteousness. He's justified you. He's washed you clean. And he intercedes for you before the Father. Do you hate your sin? He goes on. Do you find yourself turning to Jesus again and again with cries of confession and desires for change? Take heart, beloved struggler. You are undoubtedly a child of God. The fact that you are fighting sin is evidence of spiritual life. Dead things don't fight. Only living things do. So press on towards, onwards into the light of holiness. Let's stand together. Our perfect heavenly Father knows everything about us. But he sent his Son to die for us. He knows perfectly, exactly everything about each one of us. But he gave his life for each one of us. So Lord, we we come. We come in honesty. We come with realness. Lord, we know the areas of battle. We know the areas of sin. Lord, we thank you that as we come to you, we can ask your forgiveness. We can ask you to forgive us. And we thank you, Lord, your word says you're faithful and just. And you will cleanse us from everything that is not of God because of Jesus. And so, Lord, daily as we battle in this body of flesh, Lord, the battle for the mind, attitudes, words of our mouth, the actions of our hands, Lord, we just come again to that cross. We come again and we receive this grace, this undeserved mercy, undeserved perfectness placed upon us. The perfection of Christ is ours. Lord, we pray that that would motivate us and lead us and guide us. Lord, to choose away from sin to decide a way, to make choices towards holiness. Lord, that we might indeed be holy as you have called us to be. But Lord, not out of fear, not out of condemnation, but because of the grace of God that has been lavished upon us. Lord, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So Lord, we pray, help us to be honest before you. We bring our sin before you. We bring our lives before you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. And Lord, we just say right now as we've been praying throughout the morning, fill us again and again and again with your Spirit. Your Spirit who would lead us into truth. Spirit of life. Spirit of holiness. Spirit of God. Come and fill us that we might display You, your nature, your character. Fill us, Lord, Holy Spirit, just even now. Come and fill us.
come and fill us. You know those areas of weakness, Lord. You know those areas of battle and temptation. Holy Spirit, fill us. Help us. Equip us, enable us, empower us. Let your word be living and active within us. Let your spirit be living and active within us. Because we ask it in the powerful and precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. 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 Amen.